1: Busy show today. Busy, 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 busy show. Derek Young from K State Online is going to be joining us later on in this hour. Plus, uh, I, I do want to get to uh, Jacob Poland, who was on Bosco's Boys and and did the podcast that was released. was it last night or this morning? Yeah, I saw um, it last night, I and I, I listened to it, and it was an amazing podcast. Shout out to Scott Wildcat, kind of fell in his lap, and he hit a home run with the actual interview. Plus, we got number one song today, and ask us anything. Uh, but first. At some point this week, I I want, I want wanted, and we're going to here in just a moment, preview K-State baseball because the potential is there to have a, a, a big year. Talked to Pete Hughes last week, the head coach of the Cats, about you know what this team can be about, but I, I want to get a little bit further into that. I really want to get to know this K-State team before they head out tomorrow and get ready to play this weekend in uh, Arlington against three Power 5 programs. So to kick off the show, I'm pleased to be joined by by K-State baseball coach Pete Hughes here on The Game. Coach, I appreciate your time. Before we actually get to your team, I did see a headline come up today about Jordan Wicks, uh, 21st overall pick in last summer's draft. He goes to the Chicago Cubs, signs that $3.1 million deal with the Cubs. Uh, But I also saw that he was doing this T-shirt sale where proceeds goes to Katie's Way. How awesome is it to see... A guy that has moved on, but he's still a big part of your 16 ways program. Yeah,
2: you know that that that's why we do that program, so these kids can get something out of it. As as, you know, from a team standpoint, but really individually, so they can use that with their in their skill set and go on and live their life and still do the right things. And especially if you get in a position like Jordan, you know he's, he's. he's always felt it to be a privilege to be a Kansas state baseball player. And then he's fortunate enough to put himself in situation to, uh, you know, tie himself together with our, with our nonprofit community service project. And uh, especially if, you know, he said, where, where, where should I put uh, my donations coach? And I said, well, he goes, you know, my grandfather was a bat here at Fort Riley and, I said, "Well, Katie's ways—they they do some phenomenal work with with veterans—and uh, and that that was an easy choice choice for Jordan. But he continues to make us proud.
1: And let me correct myself: nineteen ways, not sixteen ways. I—I uh, I was
2: not gonna—I was not gonna correct you. That are probably off the eye. Would have absolutely. I-
1: corrected you, but not on the air. I was, well, I, as soon as I said, I was going to jump in and say, no, I'm sorry, 19 ways, 19 ways, but I yeah, w- wanted you're to good. let you say your your, your comment there. I, I, I want to ask you another question about Jordan Wicks, though, and that is, um, and actually kind of has to do with the rest of the draft picks that are just now trying to break in now and, and work their way up the ladder towards... Uh, Major League Baseball, but we all know that MLB is in a lockdown right now. You know the negotiations are still going on between owners and the players' association, and a guy like Jordan Wicks, who was you know wanting to report today, um, not able to because of this lockdown. Have you talked to him about that and, and what he can do now to use his time wisely?
2: You know, I think I think it's just at the major league level. So those, those minor league guys are going to you know continue on as uh, you know. With, with regular business and in the regular schedule. Cause, um, if the strike, I'm pretty sure if the strike continues and, and, and you know, it, it'll be minor league baseball. that will be out there. It won't be, uh, at the big league level. So, uh, Jordan and all these other guys that aren't on major league rosters, it's, it's business as usual. Carson Seymour, Casey Ford, uh, you know, Torres and Eckberg and those guys, they're all, they're all heading out trying to move their way up, uh, An organization's
1: ladder. Let's talk about your team here a little bit. Um, Speaking of the pitching, you mentioned a couple of names that are going to be in your weekend rotation for now, and that is Blake Adams, who's a transfer from Arkansas, and then you have Christian Ruback transferring in from Oklahoma. Can you tell me about just kind of what those guys bring to the table with their arsenal?
2: Well, you know, Blake Blake Adams is a guy that uh, was a high profile guy. out of high school, but, you know, very competitive kid, strike thrower with four pitches. um, But a guy that's been around the block a little bit, you know, that um, he he shouldn't be affected by, you know, the the stage or the arena. That's why he came here. He wanted to get out there and throw some more meaningful innings and um, become the best version of himself. But his ability to attack the zone and really control the traffic on the bases by his command uh, kind of separates himself and, and, and why he's getting the ball game one for us. You so know? um, Christian Ruback is, a, is a guy that's uh, unbelievably talented. Might arguably could be the most talented arm in, in our program and, um, brings an electric fastball, electric stuff. Uh, again, it's four pitches and, um, you know, he, he just needed to get settled in and, and uh, be comfortable and get innings and get coached. And uh, he's been nothing but great for us since he stepped on our campus in the fall. So, you know, both those guys are, are, are great additions, and we expect and, and we will ask and expect a lot of those guys this year.
1: It's going to be super strange to watch some K State baseball, especially early on as you start on Friday. And you look at third base and you don't see Cam Thompson out there who set the record for appearances. You know, game started. He never missed a game. He, he made every start. And he, he really rewrote some records that stood for some time. And he was such a key piece to the lineup and to your defense. I suppose the big question is, who's going to be the replacement for Cam Thompson at third base?
2: Well, you know, well, you're right about Cam. You know? I'll miss writing that name down. What a dependable kid! He stood for everything that uh, Kansas State baseball is is all about. And, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll miss writing that name down on, on Friday. I've been doing it a long time, and um, it's been nice seeing that steady, steady, productive player at the top of our lineup and at third base. But um, we got a couple options right there, and, and, and you know, Casey Culpepper, a freshman from Memphis, Tennessee, is a, is a player that we're really high on. Um, his skill set's through the roof, and um, I think he's ready to play. And he's proven to hit good pitching as as we've watched him in our preseason and and, and in the fall against our own team. So uh, he, he'll be ready to go. I'll write his name in the lineup tomorrow at third base, and uh, really not really worried about him being a freshman. He was he was a freshman in August, and you know we're in February now. And just like with Goodwin last year, I have no problem putting these guys in there. <laughs> if they've proven on a daily basis around here, they can be productive at this level. And then, you know, Cash usually is a uh, a junior college transfer. Orlando Salinas is a transfer from Oklahoma State. Those guys are pretty proficient at both around our infield and and, uh, both will fill in at third base at some point.
1: Also, another area where you're going to be filling in some guys is the outfield. Of course, Dylan Phillips is going to be out there, and unless he's out there on the mound pitching as well, he's just – a dynamic player who you have coming back probably your top returner i would say but you know center field and right field is pretty wide open is there a possibility we'll see two doms out there playing this year
2: um you know for for, for the uh short term this weekend you know uh we'll see cole, cole johnson will be out there in center field on friday and uh, dom johnson uh, we'll probably end up over in left field, and and we'll put Dylan Phillips over on right, just kind of get people settled in. And uh, you know, Dom Dom Hughes has is is, has missed a, a portion of our preseason with with concussion protocols, so that's kind of set him back a little bit. Uh, but 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 this weekend, you know, I'll look for Cole Johnson. and I see a couple of Johnsons, not a couple of Doms out there. Dom, Dom Johnson, and uh, yeah, like you said, it's great to have Dylan Phillips back. You know, he's the the active leader in home runs in our program, active leader leader in home runs in the Big 12. and um, Always nice when he elects to come back for for another year of college baseball. So, um, Really like our outfield and the potential it has out there and the athleticism that's out there from gap to gap.
1: Now, a freshman last year and also a freshman All-American, and Nick Goodwin really jumped onto the scene, and, and he started every game last year. Either he could play shortstop, second base, he would DH for you. Uh, once in a while, but you also mentioned to the media about how playing all those games right away took a toll on him. Do you believe now he is fully ready to go to take on that workload once again?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. It's, it's that fifty-six is a lot of games. You know, um, it's it's something that it's, it's volume that those those high school kids don't get. So you know, it's, it's nonstop a college baseball season. It's a sprint for three months. You're playing every day. Um, and it wears some guys out, it wears most freshmen out. So Nick, Nick will be used to it and he's used to the volume we're getting in the weight room and you know, the volume that we get on the field for practice and playing and travel and all that other stuff. So it won't be new to him. And he'll he'll know how to pace himself a little bit uh better this year and be more efficient. But um physically definitely much stronger, different guy that'll be able to handle that too. And um, you know, he's he's taken a lot from last year where he was super productive and you know, I think he'll be a better version of himself. I know he will. He already has been. You know, and going into a sophomore year, he's made huge strides. So, looking forward to watching him play in his sophomore campaign.
1: Speaking with Pete Hughes, K-State baseball coach, they begin their season on Friday against the 10th-ranked team in the country, in the Arizona Wildcats. And coach, that's a team that went to the College World Series last year. But also waiting for you down in Arlington, you have Michigan, who made it to the postseason. Auburn, a little bit of a down year, but they're not a stranger to postseason baseball either. Uh, but also, this, these three games, it's a, a huge start. You started big last year as well, taking on Oregon State and taking them down. But a big difference here is you're opening up in a Major League Baseball stadium, Globe Life Field, the home of the Texas Rangers, and you do have a young roster. Can this type of situation, do you think it could be intimidating for these guys? I hope
2: not. And I, guess, I got the wrong group of guys we're heading out of town with tomorrow. Then lot so, guys are... They go in there to win three games. You know, we, we want to be a national program, and you got to step into national venues and and play at a high level. And that's, you know, Kansas State athletics and our, and our fanfare in the community—they they deserve nothing less than that. And uh, we got a really good team. So you know, they're not not a, not experienced as far as wearing wearing the purple and white, but these these kids can play. And they can play at a high level. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing you know how, how they handle that venue you spoke about, and and. and and play against these teams, you know, and at the end of the day, it's, uh, 60 feet, six inches. You're playing against the ball and, uh, we're, we're trying to beat someone. Um, doesn't, we don't get caught up into, you know, who was in Omaha last year, who played for national championships. We're, we're, we're trying to set our own standard and stay there. And then, and, and a way, and a way to do that is to play in, in, in tournaments of, of, national importance, like, like this one, that um, we want to play. We want to play in a tournament of national importance in June. So, um, great way to start our season and great opportunity for our team
1: coach you got a couple more before i let you go i do want to get uh your thoughts on just how you how tough you think the big 12 is like all sports at this level the big 12 is one of the best conferences and certainly definitely lived up to that hype last year but uh your team picked to finish 7th you'll have a, a pretty solid non-conference and also conference schedule obviously to prove that you guys belong at the top of that list but Texas is picked to win the Big 12. What do you think about the Big 12 this year?
2: I think there's, you know, from top to bottom, it's going to be a really strong league. And, uh, the, the portal has made it even stronger, uh, specifically with the teams in our, in our conference. Um, you know, if you look at us being voted seven on on paper, that's that's uh, that's exactly where we probably should have been voted. You know, you look, we got three returning starters. Um, People don't know, you know, who we have in our program from the portal. I do. Our coaches do. And we feel great about that. But um, there's there's a couple teams like that now. Texas has Texas has everyone back from a, a really really good team that went to Omaha last year, and um, you know, not many weaknesses in that program this year. They'll, they'll be very good uh, from top to bottom. Oklahoma State has added some really good players via the portal, and um, it, 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 you. You can I can go up and down the league. That's what makes it a great league. I, I love our I love our conference. Um, I love what we do in our non-conference scheduling. And um, at the end of the year, you know, we we, we got to be looked at differently from the national committee as a as a as a conference that gets more than 14 in that 14s in that national tournament. It's good. we are a 16 league. Uh, there's no question in my mind we are. And, and uh, you know, we 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 just need to go out and and be consistent in our non-conference performance and and then you know don't beat each other up too bad on the weekends which will always happen but uh, it's it's a great league to play and it gets us it gets us tested at the national level that's for sure
1: speaking with k-state baseball coach pete hughes coach you know when i wrap up an interview you know i like to ask you a random question and don't worry this shouldn't be too tough because i think i know your answer but um since you're going to be playing to start the season in a major league ballpark what has been your favorite ballpark to visit over your lifetime? I won't say
2: Fenway, but okay. if you ask anybody um, outside of the Massachusetts New England region that have been to a lot of parks, I I, I sat and had dinner with President Linton uh, last week and, and he's been to all the major league parks except two, which is an amazing feat. He's a uh, phenomenal baseball fan, which is great talking to him. And I asked him what his favorite stadium was and he grew up. He grew up uh, in Wilmington, Delaware, outside of Philly, and his answer was Fenway. So, um, Fenway and Wrigley are always at the top of everybody's list. Uh, but you know, some some of these some of these new parks are beautiful. I remember walking into Camden Yards with this brand new and, and, and couldn't believe it. You know, so um, they've they've done such a great job with with these parks and creating you know, fan excitement and fan experience. But. Uh, some of these new parks. I, that's why I can't can't wait to go down there with uh, our club here tomorrow and Globe Life and, and experience playing. You know, at a facility that's got the capabilities of you know closing the roof and uh, it'll be nice this time of year to be able to play inside with the with the conditions controlled. You know, so um, yeah, I got to go with Fenway. Um, ben Wrigley was absolutely second on my list, but uh, just I think the people and the fan experience they, that that makes. Uh, that makes the choice what it is, uh, especially at Wrigley on a on a on a midweek afternoon where the place is full and uh, not a worry in the world.
1: All right, Coach Hughes, I appreciate your time and good luck in Arlington, Texas, this weekend. All
2: right, Mitch, thanks thanks for everything. We'll see you later.
1: You too, Coach. Appreciate it. That's Coach Pete Hughes, K State baseball, and those games they'll start Friday, three o'clock. Huron came in with a 2.30 pregame against number 10 Arizona. Saturday is at 11 a.m. against Michigan. And then Sunday at 10.30 in the morning, taking on the Auburn Tigers before they head on to a three-game series at CSU Bakersfield. We'll take a timeout. We're expected to be joined by Derek Young from K-State Online. Up next. Okay, so basically, what's going on with that Russia thing? like so uh, some chick got she got popped for performance enhancers and she still got to compete the Is that the gist of it?
0: That is the gist of it. The real clincher is that uh, she's 15. Oh and the claim is that basically she tested positive for this heart medication because, well, uh, she apparently got a hold of her grandfather's water. ha.
3: <laughs> What? <laughs> Likely story. And <laughs> Wait, no, no, stop. Stop stop, stop, stop. 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 How old is she? 15. <laughs> but I, I mean, if you, okay, if you <laughs> If you're talking about my 8-month-old baby daughter, yeah. She's all over the yeah, place. Yeah,
1: what granddaughter is sharing a water with her grandpa? Are they out in the park or something and they just have the one water bottle? And so of course,
0: The International Olympic Committee (laughs) doesn't want her participating, but the Court of Arbitration for Sport overruled it because the Russians appealed. So the IOC is withholding any medals in an event that she may win until the entire situation is taken care of through... An actual investigation into the situation.
3: It, doesn't it seem like that would be the thing that would trigger Russia into just a World War Three? Well, <laughs> like,
0: okay. You, you have enough issues with uh, the fact that the Russians are even allowed to participate. Right. It's why you have this Russian Olympic Committee oh. set up that the IOC allowed, and well, now they're paying the <laughs> price because they allowed the Russians in. That so, is uh, hilarious.
1: Uh, that is hilarious. Uh, the whole thing is
0: I, just I, an utter I, joke.
3: I, yeah, we got belly laughs water. over here. I can't keep thinking about uh, just your grand, like grandpa. This <laughs> this pop tastes weird. I, like, I yeah, mean,
0: it's got HGA I it. mean, can you imagine <laughs> Michael Beasley trying to pass a
1: test? If yeah. th- oh, anyway, Wait a never minute.
0: mind. I drank <laughs> well, my
3: grandpa's
1: pop. pop. <laughs> We're now joined by Derek Young from K State Online. DY, oh. have you ever shared water with your grandpa? <laughs>
4: I think so. <laughs> I oh,
3: sick! Like You're a, sick.
4: a like a bottle of water when we're putting on a roof of a house over the summer. Uh, yeah, uh, so. yeah, yeah,
3: yeah.
0: I'm not so sure I that mean, the heart med would would be an issue at that point, though. Yeah,
3: that I, that sounds Russian to me. Though. I, <laughs> I can remember as a kid.
1: My, uh, go ahead, DY.
4: I said my grandpa wouldn't have HGH.
1: No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. I remember so my dad, either if he's on location doing a job or something, or he's in a shop, like he used to be a carpenter for years. And that uh, was my grandpa. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, he would always have this big old jug of water somewhere or a big old jug of tea. He was a big tea guy, still is. And I would, like, share that, but, like, not when I was 15, <laughs> you know, maybe when I was eight, nine, 10. And it didn't all matter, but then I don't even know what really changed, but maybe just because it got weird at that point to share a drink like that, but yeah, the only thing that will maybe get mixed in is he used to be, he used to chew tobacco, Oh, and uh, I do remember one time I did take a little bit of that chew when I was like five or six.
3: Oh, you ever hit the uh, spitter? Was, yes. Oh God. That
1: did happen one Ooh,
3: time. You never make that
1: because mistake. Because he his spitter would just be a Pepsi can. Uh huh. Uh-huh. And there's no indication that there's no Pepsi oh. in there. There was no sign. I would just oh. and he would always put it in the cup holder. I'm like, and I got I, it happened one time. And
0: especially if he was using plug tobacco, no, red no. man, something like that. Yeah. Oh. He was a skull
1: guy. Okay. Skull. But he hasn't uh he hasn't had uh, any chewing tobacco for years.
3: Hey. Shout out to him. That's awesome. Yeah,
1: my mom actually, she smoked for 40, like she told me one, it was like 48 years. Wow. She was a smoker and just quit one time and hasn't smoked for over a year.
3: Shout out to her. Where's that applause hotkey? That's good. That's yeah. awesome. That's yeah. amazing.
1: Um, well, here we go with this awesome transition into K-State men's basketball, D.Y. <laughs> um, I, I actually want to start with the West Virginia game because it's really fresh on my mind about um, Ishmasud, who in back-to-back games has now scored in double figures, but you were raving about his defense. So that's where I want to start, D.Y. Tell me about what you loved so much about Ishmasud and him playing defense against the Mountaineers.
4: Um, more than anything, it was because it was kind of a revelation. And and obviously that's going to sound like a slight to him, and it probably is, but he's been one of the poorest defenders on the team for you know nearly the entire season. So him kind of coming to life on that end of the floor in the second half against West Virginia really lifted up the team, I thought. I thought they took um, took his lead. I thought he was the one that kind of spearheaded that effort. And I think we can all agree that the defensive end of the floor is, is really what hurt them in the first half. I'm not sure West Virginia has scored at that kind of clip for probably over a month, maybe two. So just resurrecting and correcting that end of the floor was was the difference maker for the Wildcats, and I thought it just—I thought it started and ended with the the effort and the energy from Ishmael Massoud.
1: I was watching him play defense, I, I, and I'll be honest with you, my vision of the game, like my actual line of sight, uh maybe isn't the best sometimes for that kind of play in, when it's on the opposite end of the floor, and also especially when you have three hundred and fifty-pound Bob Huggins. In your way, who's blocking your your view most of the time? That did suck. I didn't get to see a whole lot of the game, to be honest with you. But I did <laughs> Is it see
4: 350. Correct? Is it 350? I would have on so ballparking. Not, not yeah, not 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 to fat shame or anything, but I would have projected north of that. I think
1: I, he's a big guy, and I will take. I also take into consideration just his height, but he you know big gut, yeah, big guy. I, I <laughs> thought 350 was kind of fair, but you know. Maybe it's not. I don't know. I'm not a good judge of that. You look at me, you would guess, you know, maybe 170. I'm actually 190, but, you know, that's because I'm obviously jacked. But uh, that's actually not true. Uh, The pandemic has been a little bit harsh on this guy, uh, especially since I'm not going to the gym. Anyway, we're way off topic. Uh, What I was going to say about Ish, though, what I noticed is that when I saw him playing defense, it wasn't like he was doing a lot. He just did – like the fundamental part of what he needed to do. Just move your feet and keep your hands up and just make sure you stay in the guy and contest the shot a little bit. And the guys that are trying to post up, post up was like Isaiah Cottrell who finished five of 14 from the field. Um, he, I think he was doing most of it, maybe a little bit of Jalen Bridges as well. The two forwards they were playing, but also uh, keep in mind, no Gabo Saboyan who did not play on, um, uh, Monday for West Virginia, because I'm guessing it was for disciplinary actions. He got teed up twice in the Oklahoma State game, and he got a little bit of a – he said a few things to Bob (laughs) Huggins that coach didn't like, and he said, get off my court or something like that, and we did not see Gabe Osaboyan. I mean, a lefty who can rebound, did you kind of feel like that was a bit of a factor of how maybe Ishmasud could have a better day down
4: there? Potentially, because he's a very physical player, um, but and, and, and I thought it was more of a factor because West Virginia could have used it as en- his energy on the floor. I think he's probably their third best player, at least after Tash Sherman, maybe their second best player. Um, although I, I like what Bridges has done, McNeil's in a cold spell. Mountaineers are really lacking at the moment, but and so they can take any little bit of you know good play that they can get, and of course. He, he's typically a source of that, but he's in the Bob Huggins doghouse for, you know, who knows how long. And that'll probably be an interesting storyline to monitor for the rest of the year in Morgantown. But with Ishmael Massoud, I, I just think it's, you know, anything that he can provide on the defensive end is a boost because he wasn't really providing that at all in, in uh, about every game leading up to the last couple. And if he can be – just respectable on the defensive end of the court. It allows them to, and this is going to sound bad, keep keep the other bigs off the floor as much as possible because the reason why they do sometimes have to resort to, you know, a Bradford, an Easy Agu or, or Lingard is because they they have to have someone that can really defend at the five, you know, at least for stretches of the game, and, and Ishmael Masoud's not hasn't really shown to be that. If he does, and he can – you know, give them twenty minutes at that spot, in or fifteen at least, and then the rest at the floor. It, I guess, it makes you less detrimental in terms of a lineup on the floor if you're Kansas State. You don't have to put some of your worst lineups on the floor if Masood can really defend at, at that clip. Because, you know, as bad as it sounds, and you guys probably agree, the less you have to play those those other fives, Bradford. And Easy Agu specifically, probably the better right now.
1: Well, and Ishmael Sudi played 17 minutes in the second half. Coach Bruce Weber obviously felt the most comfortable just having him play in the game. And I would imagine a lot of that, I, I didn't obviously keep track of the minutes of where if he was playing fourth to five, depending on if Davion Bradford was in the game or not, because you saw very little of Carlton Lingard uh, back on mm-hmm. Monday night. But.
4: And no, uh, uh, no Easy Agu.
1: That's right. Yeah. So two straight games, right? No easy Aigu playing for K Correct. State because I don't think he. Yeah, I don't think he played for Iowa State. Also, uh, we we haven't really even taught guards yet, but um, Marquise Noel playing his best basketball right
4: now. Yeah. Well, at least from a shooting standpoint, I, I think he got out of the he got out of rhythm there, a little wonky for two or three games where he wasn't even penetrating or you know causing havoc with his dribble, but. I think for the most part outside of that little slump, he's been pretty good um, in that facet of his game and on the defensive end and being a pest. But he was really, really cold there for a while uh, from the field, at least from the three-point line. In the last two games, he's 7 of 12 from the three-point line, 7 of 12. So he's really got a hot stroke going on right now from the beyond the arc. It took him 33 attempts prior to that to – make his prior seven three-pointers so he went on a streak where he was seven of 33 from the three-point line then it only took him 12 shots to make his next seven so um that shows you how he's been hot and cold from the three-point line for sure
1: yeah his three three pointers against iowa state he went i'm counting i'm trying to count them all up here he went one two three four five six seven eight he went eight games with at the max Two three pointers made, and you know he likes to shoot the three and he likes to take the deep shot once in a while. Speaking to that deep shot, I haven't asked you yet about the finish of regulation against Iowa State, because I, I did want to continue to talk about Marquise Noel. Mm-hmm. I felt like no matter what, Bruce Weber needed to take that timeout because it was the last play. But are you I mean, in that situation, are you I'm sure you're not against completely uh Marquise Noel trying to take that shot? Maybe well, not as deep.
4: I don't mind the playing without a timeout there because sometimes uh, you don't it's better to do that and the defense can't arrange it and set up themselves and it allows a little bit more of free flowing. I mean Bruce Weber has been criticized, you know, over and over by probably being too much of a micromanager in those kinds of situations and trying to orchestrate all five players on the floor calling out. And he kind of diverted into a different strategy that time. He was just going to let his guys play, and obviously that was to the detriment too. So it's a little bit damned if you do, damned if you don't. There, if you're Bruce Weber, so I'm not going to throw any throw shade at him for how he chose to, you know, manage that situation because he's probably done it, you know, both ways this year. And I think sometimes it's successful, sometimes it's not. I think Nigel Pack. I don't know when he, if he had his deep three against – it was at Oklahoma State. I'm not sure if that was out of a timeout or not. It might have been, and then it was a bad screen. But either way, I don't mind the strategy there, but if you're Marquise Noel, you probably need to do more than just dribble in the same mm-hmm. spot for 15 seconds than even a logo three. So that's more on him, in my opinion, than really anything that Bruce Weber did or, or didn't do. And I just would have liked to see – them, you know, I, I guess what I'm saying is you, you make the defense do something there. They, I mean, the defense didn't have to do anything. And that's why probably for the first time in my life, a guy shooting a three that deep still got blocked. Because usually you're not going to get guarded out there, but they knew what he was doing. It was pretty predictable.
1: Uh, Caleb Grill, that was the best play he had all game. He just had to stand there and swat the ball once Marquise Noel went up with it. Yeah, that's that's right. It was after uh, Grill, he was, he was like oh of 8 from three-point range.
4: And not even a good defender, let's no. be honest. Grills has never been known to be playing defense.
1: D.Y., let's take a break. When we come back with Derek Young from k Stand Online, it, honestly, it's been a little while since we've taught basketball recruiting. I have a few questions for D.Y. when we come back on the game. Mm-hmm. We back on the game with Derek Young from k Stand Online. I'm Mitch Fortner. To my right, Troy Coverdale. David G. is across from me. And to my left-ish is Sage Williams once again here. Um back to Derek Young from K-State Online. So DY, I, I did want to touch just kind of briefly on K-State men's basketball because uh, with the recruiting part of the team, because of course there's the you know the scholarship is open, there's one on the team. Also, you know there's gonna be a couple of guards leaving after this year. Yet you still just have the one signing from Taj Manning, who is or Taj Taj Manning, uh from uh he's a three star and he's a Ford from Indiana. Uh I don't know exactly how to phrase this question. I guess where is K State basketball recruiting right right now? Is it kind of a wait and see uh, because there might be some transfers after the year?
4: Yeah, there's that. There's only I think only two spots available anyway um, as it sees now, which is would be Mark Smith's uh, spot, and I think they had another open one. So there's only two technically that would be available. Um, there will be more and obviously you're going to look into the transfer portal once again, I would imagine, but let's be real here too. Some of the lull and and inactivity here is also because we don't know what the Kansas State basketball program really is after this season. I mean, I think the elephant in the room is is you need some certainty as to who's going to be the head coach um, coaching these recruits too, and I do think that's a question at this point.
1: That was going to actually be my next, next question. Bruce Weber having the question mark about his job status next year. I mean, does that kind of keep potential recruits away from maybe visiting K-State or even giving K-State attention about becoming a Wildcat?
4: I, I think to an extent it does. I don't think that's the the, the true and sole limiting power here. I think some of it is
0: –
4: some of it also seems like they they – you almost get an impression that Bruce and them know it's it's that period of time too. So I, I just don't think that they've been incredibly active themselves on the recruiting trail. And I'm not saying that it's generally because they know they're gone or, or anticipate being gone. It could. I don't know that. But I think it's also because, I mean, there's only two spots available right now. One's already occupied. You're probably – If it was just two spots, it'll be more. But if it was just two spots, you'd want to use that after the season when you know which players from other programs are going to leave and enter the transfer portal. So I I just think we're at a time period now where recruiting, at least for this class, now you should still be doing it for the future classes and and evaluating and scouting those players. But for the current class that they're going to sign, you know, that'll be on campus for next season – it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to do much of anything at the moment.
1: Now, I do want to ask you a football recruiting question because I, I noticed last week there was a, a transfer running back who's going to walk on who's transferring from Air Force. I was wondering, do you know how that works? Because I thought, you know, if you go to Air Force, you got to be in the Air Force, right? Uh, do you, Do you know how that works, how he's able to get out of that and come to K-State?
4: Details I do not know, but I know that there's a finite amount of time where you can leave without owing that service. Um, now, how what that exact timing is, I am not sure, but I think you do have the opportunity to leave. Maybe, maybe it's almost like a grace period, saying, oh, this is not for me. I'm getting out. So I think that that's probably what it was. He was still in that grace period.
1: Yeah, he did redshirt, so he's got all of his eligibility still remaining. Um, but again, you know, who knows if we'll see him as a walk on, you never know. But, uh, I, w- I would have a feeling, you know, behind Deuce Vaughn, probably still trying to get out there and maybe get a running back, but DJ Giddens kind of feeling like that might be the guy, but you never know. That's uh that's maybe a, a conversation for another day, unless you got something to say on that D.Y. Uh,
4: do the, I think they'll probably look and see what's available in the transfer portal after spring ball, because there's going to be more running backs that enter. Um, that are probably at other programs right now and they'll go through those, those um, what is it, four or five weeks of spring ball, maybe find out where they stand at a particular school and think that maybe the grass is greener on the other side. I mean, you got to think about it because you, you are going to see still quality players enter the transfer portal in the months of April and May once they, they finish spring ball at their respective programs that they're currently at. We saw that, what was it three years ago? that you know Kansas State signed James Gilbert who was a transfer from Ball State now that was before spring ball mm-hmm. he signed with Kansas State in December but if i remember correctly and i'm pretty certain that i do they did sign Jordan Brown from North Carolina after spring ball
1: uh, t- timetable wise i don't exactly remember what happened but you're right that was actually that was all in a really quick amount of time i thought they had actually got him before signing or like that that december signing period but uh, may- I know they did James
4: Gilbert. I thought Jordan okay. Brown came afterwards. I wasn't. I'm not sure that Jordan Brown was at Kansas State for spring ball.
1: Because I thought they kind of got them all three at the same time. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe I'm just getting all mixed I mean, up.
4: I, I I know that they signed because remember they didn't have any scholarship right. running backs at the time. They also signed I think it was Thomas Grayson. Um, because they signed like four high school backs too in that class. Thomas Grayson, C.J. Price, um, was it Joe Irvin? Yeah, Joe Irvin Joe, and yeah. Jakartia Wright and Jakartia Wright. Yeah.
1: Well there you go. I I I tell you what, running back it's kind of that it's that position where you're kind of worried about it, but you're not because Deuce Vaughn is your man. But I'm just like, just let Deuce Vaughn take the carries, man. Just let Deuce Vaughn take the carries. What's with this old backup talk? It's not like he's gonna get hurt. He's a machine. He's made of iron. He's gonna be fine. He's get he gets not, up after every play you anyway.
4: Be, you better not be jinxing you know him. Never. <laughs> pretty, he's hashtag my,
1: he's hashtag my boy. There's no such thing with a jinx with hashtag my boy. D.Y., we'll wrap up here by just a, a, a tad bit discussion on bubble talk right now because K-State is now on the next four out from Joe Lenardi. And uh, I, I suppose maybe kind of look at it as a blessing with Iowa State beating TCU because they both stay in the top 60 in the in the net, but also maybe jumps K-State. to Actually, it does ju- jump K-State 10-5 in the Big 12 standings, which, yes, 5-10 have a losing record in Big Twelve play, but are you still feeling good about eighteen wins in a in a tournament spot?
4: 18. how many more wins would that be? Three? Uh four. Four more wins. I'm at I think three, to be honest. I wow. get them there. I, I do. Now now maybe Because, if we're thinking four, you'd have to go nine and nine and win a game in Kansas City. Because I don't know that they're going to go ten and eight Mm -hmm. in the Big Twelve. They're six and seven right now. Um, Yeah, it's that's tough for me. Uh, I really do think that. I think they need to get to nine and nine in in the league record during the regular season. And obviously, that would only be three more. Because I think nine and nine in the Big Twelve this year gets you in. I really do. I don't even think it would take another one in Kansas city if they went nine and nine. I, and, and there's a path to nine and nine, right? Like if, especially you got to win a road game and, and, but they've shown that they could already do that. They won at TCU. They won at Texas and they won at Iowa state three teams that might be in the NCAA tournament themselves. Um, It stinks that they let those games get away from them in Norman and Morgantown because they had opportunities there as well. Um, And winning in Lubbock and Lawrence is probably going to be difficult So I wouldn't want to, you know, need a win at either of those locations to secure an NCAA tournament berth. But I think, you know, winning Stillwater on Saturday really puts you in a golden opportunity in my mind because that puts you at seven and seven in the Big 12 and you can get to 500 just by taking care of business at home against Iowa State and, what was it Oklahoma? Yeah, Iowa State and Oklahoma.
1: I must be crazy because everybody in K State media and I, I'm not you know trying to play it off as like I'm the smart one or anything like that. I'm just yeah. I just it's my feeling that I'm not confident unless K State gets to 19 wins. I think 19 is the big number. Uh, anything below I'm, that, I, it's it's a question mark to me.
4: I mean, and it's fair to view it that way. It's just that like if Kansas State gets to nine and nine in the Big Twelve, you're you're 500 in the best conference in America. And there's, there's years where the conference is weaker and teams 7 and 11 uh, get into the tournament. And you add on to the fact that if Kansas State is 9 and 9 in the Big 12 at the end of the season, they're going to have one of the best strengths of record, one of the best strengths of schedule, and probably some of the most quad one and quad two wins in the country. Their resume at that point, just for the amount of teams, quality teams that they've defeated, if they get to 9 and 9, I think it's just too much to ignore.
1: DY, appreciate it, and we'll uh, we'll see you soon for another K-State basketball game. Absolutely, see you then. That's Derek Young from K-State Online, and we have hour two of the game coming up next, including one of the weirdest things I've ever had happen to me at a high school basketball game. That's next.